Hello and welcome to Bad Music Hurts, the friendly music club where my brother and I discuss our favorite music. This is episode 16, and today is an exciting day, because after many years, we're finally returning to a staple of the show, Lord Huron, with their third major release from back in 2018, Vie de Noir. While I tried to get the award-winning best doggy in the world, Berkeley, on today's show, he was understandably busy, so I had to settle <laughs> for his little-known assistant caretaker. It's my brother, Michael Baraclet. Hey, Michael. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> It's been a year. <laughs> it, it, it really has been a year. It's been a long time. Yes, it has. But I'm excited to get back into it. And we've been putting this one off for a good long while, I think, yes. too. We are consciously trying to not be the Lord Huron podcast. So we were just like, no, not yet. Not yet. We need to do another one. We need to do something else. So all about the buffer episodes. We need we need more. <laughs> more power. We listen to other things other than Lord Huron, we swear. Yeah. But it has been a long time, and I think it, the time is now to finally, finally talk about Vide Noir, because I, I think we've got quite a bit of thoughts on this record. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that it's difficult to know where to begin, so I really am going to try just sticking to the light formula we've been applying for past episodes, just to try structuring our thoughts so we don't go off the rails too quickly. <laughs> um, so, as... As briefly as you could possibly manage, um, do you remember your first impressions of Vie Noir when you first heard it, when it was first announced? Yeah, so um, it was first announced, and I just remember in classic Lord Huron fashion just being super intrigued, right? Because on their YouTube, they posted a teaser, like a couple, two to maybe two to three months before they dropped the album. And I was still at school at this time in Milwaukee, so I was super pumped. And I I think I did it with Strange Trails as well. I was like, you know what? They're playing live at Riverside Theater, uh, downtown Milwaukee. I ain't listening to this album when it drops. I'm just going to go see it live. Ooh. So it was a bit odd walking into the Riverside Theater, which is this older historic theater in downtown Milwaukee, off the river, really in the heart of downtown and it has that old theater feel walking in there and seeing this giant neon sign that has this <laughs> giant emerald on it, emerald pattern, like a jewel cut pattern on it. I remember just being like, this is definitely different, but it's very intriguingly different from where we've been before with Lord Huron. My first impression, though, from the music was I didn't really know what to think about it because this is very much a strong deviation from stuff and stylizations that we've had from Lord Huron in the past. Uh, instrumentally, thematically, I would say it's uh, a little bit different as well. So it, I honestly didn't know what to make of it when I saw it live for the first time. And it was on only on subsequent listens that I was a little bit taken aback at the beginning of the album, but once it hit the middle and hit its stride, then it was like I got sucked in and it's, it's grown on me since as like a staple. And honestly, what I would... I think I prefer this one over Strange Trails, in my personal opinion. So I, I think it's kind of evolved up at the ranks. Oh, wow. Um, for me. Mm-hmm. Wow. OK. Um. Oh, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> so I, I had a slightly different first impression. I remembered seeing the album art before anything else. And I do distinctly remember thinking I did not like it at all. The album art, rather, like mm-hmm. the presentation of the thing. I'm like, oh, this is. 
like it's like you searched for emerald.svg found the first <laughs> vector you found online and like dragged and dropped that on a microsoft paint black background and we're like that's the album art we did it ship it um <laughs> ship it yeah so i was not thrilled with what i perceived as like a lack of time taken on the album art itself i was like why is there no glow why is there no like astral space patterns stuff and these are thoughts after listening to the record as well for the first time where these like themes sort of revealed themselves that made me more upset initially at the album art itself so yeah i was not particularly pleased with the presentation and um i also held off listening to the singles or the single. I know that Wait by the River was one of the singles, or at least was one of the songs that was released that Amy was listening to, because mm-hmm. um, I held off listening to everything until I knew I could sit down and properly listen to the album front to back without any distractions. That was my first listening experience, but Amy kind of spoiled us a little bit. Amy, our, our sister for listeners, uh, originally recorded a few of the initial episodes with us, and um, she also was a big Lord Huron fan, and she played Wait by the River for us on one of our Sips trips, I believe, and she said on it words that I think apply to the record as a whole. So I am going to repeat what she says, and it was, I think it was like, oh, it's a grower. It grows on you. And she played it one time, and I was like, uh, I don't know about this. And mm-hmm. she played it a second time and I was like, okay, I still don't know about this. I'm a little irritated. You're spoiling it for me, but fine. I'll humor this for now. <laughs> that was kind of my attitude yeah. going in. But I think that pertains to the listening experience as a whole, because I was very much taken aback on first listen. I didn't much care for it, but it, it really was one of those things that like a fine wine really sets. And on each subsequent listen, I grow more and more fond of it. So first impressions were not great across the board, both visually, musically. I just, I wasn't thrilled with the new direction, but through time, my eyes were opened to the broader world and I grew to really also enjoy this one. I don't know if I'm willing and ready to say that I like it more than Strange Tales, but I certainly consider it like in that upper echelon of quality releases, Lonesome Dreams, Strange Trails, right up there with them so equally as loved uh in my opinion but uh i'm glad we're both we both settled on liking the record <laughs> it was a little bit concerned i'm like i actually don't know how michael really feels about this it might have been a different discussion but i think you nailed it it is a grower like that being said i i more easily like fell in love with the middle to second half of the album than i did the first half um the first half definitely took time to grow for me uh, because that is the, I think the half that's so different that it just, it's almost like jumping into ice cold water. You kind of go, ah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, okay, <laughs> get used to it a little bit. Um, you got Lord Huron experimenting with punk metal, <laughs> which is a little bit of different than where we came from in the past where, I mean, we have Lonesome Dreams does more like Western it was like Western folk through and through. Yeah, Western yeah. folk, acoustic. It, it brought this like familiar sound to it. It's like had this undercurrents of like joyful expo- exploration and optimism. And then they started dabbling with this, these like darker kind of takes. Uh, but it was a little bit more digestible in Strange Trails because they had this like 50s doo-wop. I don't know. It wasn't a doo-wop, but it was very like 50s, 60s rock kind of aesthetic. Yes. Yep, and then um, and then here's Vide Noir that comes in, and it's primarily bass 
rhythm guitar, electric rhythm guitar driven drums synth we got the harp playing a really prominent role in this one as well and it's a it's a bit uh, like a bit like a whiplash like whoa where are we going now um yeah they've never rocked as hard as they do especially on like ancient names part two like it's they've never gone that far <laughs> mm-hmm. so especially for initially falling in love with this band through Lonesome Dreams, it is a lot to kind of take in and kind of adjust to. But I would say if I just had the album as itself, I don't think I would have stuck through those initial feelings of like, yeah, I don't know. It really for me was all the auxiliary material that kept bringing me back to this. It's so fascinating. I know you were talking about the album art being kind of (laughs) like control C. (laughs) control v (laughs) change color done (laughs) so like i do agree with that but i think it kind of works in in hindsight because it almost is such a contrast to what they've done before it just stands out like a sore thumb Mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to auxiliary materials say they post on youtube and, and we've talked about this before right in prior podcasts where for lonesome dreams they flirted with these like video postcards where they would give a different take on instrumental section of a song overlaid like some really grainy like lost footage style like little clip that was kind of almost a little disorienting at times and they would just like play like 30 seconds of it and it's just like was meant to be like a little glimpse and teaser into their music um and we saw that like evolve further in strange trails as well where now we we got a really high production value music video now with Fool for Love that has its own little fun storyline to it. In addition to the video postcards kind of making a a return. And then we get this teaser for V Noir, <laughs> which is something straight out of like 90s television, like commercial 90s television of this glass perfume bottle and it's 1877 Vidnoir <laughs> 999 and I was like what are they going for here I was like so intrigued by just these little glimpses into this world and then I think it was maybe when the album dropped they released this 30 minute video called Products of the Universe with Marsha Tantley. And oh, and what was it? And Dale Frandor. <laughs> Frandor? Oh my God. I haven't seen this since its initial release. I forgot how ridiculous the names were. So I dug into this a lot before this. I, I rewatched the whole thing and I dug further into a lot of their auxiliary materials. They legitimately teased a movie for this album. It's on IMDb. They had a director selected, and they communicated via YouTube that they're releasing it in 2020. Ooh. So we could probably into it that, like, COVID happened, right? And this didn't happen. But it kind of makes me think that, that that wasn't a joke. That wasn't, like, a world-building thing. Like, oh, a movie coming soon. Like, I think they actually were trying to do this. And I think it's obvious in Proxy Universe where now we've built up where we have Lord Huron getting a larger public appeal, getting, I think, greater funds to explore, and they run with it. We have, like, high-quality movie production clips, like, interspersed in Products of the Universe. And the best way to kind of describe Products of the Universe is, imagine you're sitting up at, like, 3 a.m., and you're flipping through the TV, and you stumble across 
the commercial channel where it's just like <laughs> it, and you know the type right where it's like a host and it's just like this spokesperson from this company that just talks about products and the host is like oh wow and just like feed some softball questions and everything like that. You, you know the type, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Like, there, it's usually, like, really vain jewelry. And it's like, oh, what what a beautiful product. And you can call in and order yours now for three easy installments of $9.99 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they compliment now this album with this 30-minute glimpse into this universe that they're building where before all we had were these little postcards and it was kind of fun to like play make-believe and like okay what are they going for here what are the characters here it's a little bit more spelled out and it's it's pretty fascinating where they have this commercial channel hosted by Marsha Tanley and then this product spokesperson Dale Frandor <laughs> the best way to describe this guy is a middle-aged overweight balding man with the hair slicked over and it still looks wet kind of just like a snake oil salesman kind of vibe we get from this guy welcome back to the lh shopping network your most amazing products in the universe i'm marcia tanley and i'm here with dale frander hello there dale hello there marcia uh now dale i'm so curious Show us what you've got for us today. Well, Marsha, I am just so fired up and excited to share these products, particularly with you. And we literally are just watching this channel through this 30-minute montage, but in classic Lord Huron fashion, they just give you just like an annoying amount of detail where it's like, why would you cut it there? I want to know more. (laughs) Um, Where the editing editing is a little bit like almost like intentionally frustrating in that sense where it's like, yeah, a really cool details and cut out. And and that's the best way to describe it. It's like you're watching on like a crappy CD-ROM and it's like skipping and then it jumps to a little bit of a music video part, jumps into like a movie clip, jumps back to products in the universe. And it really is kind of that lost footage style. But, I mean, they really build this world here. I mean, they start talking about all these, like, goofy products of this 1990s, like, city universe that is just bizarre. (laughs) I wrote some of them down, and I think it's kind of fun to go through them to lead up to this album here. Um, So, (laughs) Mark, do you ever wish that you could relive the good old days and rekindle a lost love? Boy, do I ever! (laughs) <laughs> well, now you can with mind pigment. <laughs> Tell me more. All you gotta do, just scoop and goop. Apply it across the forehead, just <laughs> like you would sunscreen. And now you can accept the cosmic energy. <laughs> and it moisturizes. it moisturizes. Do you hear that? It moisturizes. You're not gonna find that anywhere else. You're not gonna find mind pigment cream that's actually good for your skin anywhere but on the LA they went full into this they got full actors and actresses and mark my pigment could be yours for a very very low LHSN price of $41.96 I mean that's a bargain I mean you can't afford to not buy the best way to describe it is imagine the occult selling self-care psychedelic drugs mixed with Gwyneth Paltrow's goop yeah, it is. I was about to mention <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow's group. It, it is exceptionally cynical in that sort of marketing and that sort of products. Um, 
it's it's as if the astral plane was commercialized. Uh, I don't know how else yes. to describe it. Um, yes. Yeah, and it is very cynical in that regard. I guess that's one of the reasons why it was easy to get turned off of Vid Noir, because the previous two releases, and even going farther beyond to the EPs, Laura Huron's never been cynical like that. Like, oh, there was like a dreamy landscape into the sun and mighty, and then Lonesome Dreams, It's it's kind of a... Good Americana, like, oh, this true grit, this guy going out. Like, it's a feel-good sort of cowboy aesthetic to Lonesome Dreams. And then Strange Trails, like, there's naivety to be sure and heartbreak and things, but it was never told cynically. It was always told, like, empathetically um, when there's characters that are grieving and going through hard times and Strange Trails. like. But in Vin Noir, like, there's a lot of, in the promotional material, all of this commercial crap and then even the main character of the album which i'm sure we're going to get to is a very stark difference from the previous characters that he's portrayed where this one's kind of kind of a chump kind of a loser and, mm-hmm. and, and a bit of an ass uh and everything for v noir is of a cohesive whole because all of those things are so different than what they've done in the past it didn't make sense that they all fit together until like they were all taken holistically and maybe taken uh, again a second time and that's why i think uh, it does grow with each listen. You come to recognize that it does kind of all connect and it does all make sense together. So I guess kind of off that, right? We do have this more like cynical kind of viewpoint and a bit more like holding up a mirror and critiquing certain aspects. I think very much I get a, a very much a 1990s look. Like when, when you think of the 90s, right? Like I, I think more of like an optimistic time of technology, right? Where Things were so cool and so new, and everyone just seemed to be very hopeful and optimistic about the future. The fools. And it it kind of seems like Lord Huron's taking like the skepticism of today and applying it into the world of 1990s like technology. Where like now we get like a non-optimistic, like non-hopeful, almost like borderline dystopic technological 1990s, like it, it like this world of Red light district cityscapes, cocktail bars, sweat filled clubs, psychedelic commercialized drugs and commercialism. It's just like a weird kind of mishmash, but I think it works. And I guess what I'm getting at here is like, so that's that's kind of the world I feel out of this. What, how did what does this like make you feel right? Because I have each album kind of makes me feel distinct things. Like when you listen to this, like, wh- what do you feel? Um. Honestly, it's a sort of deep-rooted fear throughout the whole thing. I play a lot of D&D, you know this. Um, yes. And our DM, our standard DM, Travis, uh, he loves sort of the astral plane, like far realm, eldritch nightmare sort of aesthetic. And that's just seeping everywhere into here. And it's like commonplace. Like this is just the daily grind. And this is just your daily eldritch nightmare commercial. Um, And it's... That's horrifying. And they even mentioned like the power of names throughout the record, which always kind of stood out to me because our DM, Travis, has always instilled that like names themselves are incredibly dangerous things. Like if you learn the name of some like long dead god or long, you know, forgotten eldritch nightmare, you effectively give it power again. You effectively resurrect it and most of the time often lose your mind and mentally corrupt yourself as well in the process. Like it's a 
dangerous thing to even know the name of such horrifying ancient beings. And I mean, they even cover things like that in the, this record where it's like, oh God, I, I heard this name and now I'm, I'm basically losing my mind. This fortune teller is telling me like, oh yeah, you're going to die, dude. And these uh, ancient names. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just that someone, even if they're trying to, can even find that sort of knowledge in this universe is terrifying. So there's this like just slow undercurrent dread throughout this record for me. So it is a very, it definitely is the album I feel the worst um, emotionally after listening to. Funnily enough, um, you'd think maybe Lonesome Dreams or Strange Tales, but uh, just because of the world, as you mentioned before, it is very, it is a very bleak and grim reality that the album paints. Yeah, this album makes me think reflectively. I mean, it sets the tone for it. It's melancholic and it, it bathes in it. <laughs> like, and I know a lot of like the lead singer uh, Ben Schneider's like inspiration was kind of these like nighttime drives kind of on the West Coast, and I, I, it really does show here. And I, I think this is some of their. There are some instrumental sections in writing here that I think. I mean, it shows me it's like, yeah, they still got their craft. It, it takes me right back to like, yeah, this is the same band that does what they're able to do with the Lonesome Dream single. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just the the craftsmanship and the production. So it's like, it, that's what I feel from this. It's kind of this like melancholic. I kind of agree with what you're saying. Like this, it's cautionary fear almost. Like you just, it, we'll get into this a little bit more of like exactly what I mean by that. But yeah, it's a very different, say, from like where we started, right? Because when I think of Lonesome Dreams, the best way to describe it is it makes me feel nostalgia for something I've never experienced. Yeah. Where it, it, this feeling of longing and wanderlust where like you get this wave of like almost euphoria from listening to it, I guess is the best way to describe it. Where this is, yeah, this is a little bit more of a, like a black coffee. <laughs> I guess, uh-huh. where, it's it's a, or like a bitter tea, right? Where it, there's not a whole lot of sweet with it, but it's an acquired taste to kind of appreciate those tones, right? And kind of deviate from like the familiar sweetness of childhood, right? Like, and that's why I think kind of Lonesome Dreams is, is more of that like childhood where, yeah, there's evil, but it's like kind of like cartoon evil. And this is more kind of bathing in it and getting into it in the nitty gritty. So uh, I think it's near that time where we start going into the song by song breakdown. I do want to quickly call attention to my special little mixing and mastering section because I do want to call attention to who mixed the album. So it was uh, Dave Friedman, who, among many, many credits, uh, mixed Tim Impala's Lonerism album as well. So oh, I could yeah, see that. Exactly, yeah. right? And then the album's master, it was mastered by Greg Calby, who has done a lot of mastering. Um, Crack Up by Fleet Foxes. Helplessness Blues by Fleet Foxes. Wow, Mindset Vacationer. Okay. Um, bon Iver Self-Titled. Current. Again, going back to Tame Impala. Like, a whole bunch of records that we know and love. So, um, he was the master behind this. Um, so, yeah. Uh, a, an all-star cast here of very well-known names. And it shows because I do want to call attention throughout um, the songs as we get to them to the actual production of the album itself, because that is one of the things I find most fascinating given the sound of previous Lord Huron records and how they were produced versus this one, because there's a lot of differences, but I think that's what 
I find most compelling about this is that it is so unique within the discography. There's no other album like it production-wise, even still with the new release, uh, Long Lost. Like This is the only one. This is kind of the black sheep in regards to the production. So I will get into that. But do you have anything else before we go into the very first song? I think we covered it. But I guess one thing I would advocate is I would recommend checking out that Products of the Universe. And we'll throw a link into the uh, podcast description. Because it really helps build this world and kind of get yourself into this mindset. Otherwise, I think this can't be a bit jarring because they mention these names kind of like, oh, yeah, you already know what Cosmic Ash is. (laughs) You know what that is. Yeah, of course, you know what that is, right? So, like, I think it's kind of like the necessary, like, uh, preview into this to really learn the talk. Because I think this is the most, like, dense of all the other albums in terms of like, they use these terms and it's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And it's very entertaining too. So I would highly recommend it. (laughs) I see. Yes. Aura is being warped by this threshold. It's, it's difficult to discern. I must consult the balancer's eye. Oh, jeez, I just really hope... Silence! Yeah, that's a great point. It is a fantastic primer into, like, both the mindset and, to your point, like, just the straight terminology. Like, oh, this is an actual product. This is an actual thing. Um, It's a very bad drug, and it's going to be referenced throughout the record. Um, So, yeah, no, it is definitely a useful thing. It's not required, I don't think, but um, it is certainly useful in the same way that if you go back to an old, like, romantic period poem or something having like a quick like cliff notes of like hey like this is just in general what the poem's about like oh that's helpful to contextualize in my head how to consume this this art like that that is very much the same thing here where it is helpful to have that contextualization yeah and like it it helps yeah to yeah know the names okay we have this mind pigment that is advertised like okay you can connect with a lost love that that is mentioned in the album you have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like this sky gazer's harness that allows you to accept <laughs> what the sky is giving us you have a cosmic ash that mind you comes in jumbo packs <laughs> get him at your costco yeah um and they ask like yeah who wants to get black brained no this we have cosmic ash for that <laughs> um and then of course the names the namesake of the album here the the vid noir that they advertise as enabling you to obliterate the self and the boundaries of space and time. <laughs> Your one-way ticket to outer space. And then lastly, the one that is really funny to watch Marsha work with towards the end here is the Consciousness Neutralizer. <laughs> and it's one of their most popular products because it's the most like a fun toy. That's my <laughs> best deal I can do. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Um, and I like how like they do this like cutaway where it's like technical difficulties where they say, due to overwhelming demand, we are no longer accepting new orders for the consciousness neutralizer at this time. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's a blast. So highly recommend you check it out because I do think like we mentioned before, it's your, it's kind of like your cliff notes into this and giving you kind of the being able to talk the talk and understand, okay, we have these different products in these universes in this universe. It's promising different things to these users and it's it kind of helps frame up when they drop these terms like black brained in here it's like what the what does that mean (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it helps kind of set the stage i guess she's gone for good 
So yeah, the first song in the record, Lost in Time and Space, which I will attest in classic Lord Huron fashion, is not chronologically the first event that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, and we've mentioned this on every past Lord Huron um, episode, and I do want to reiterate it here, um, the whole like quote unquote narrative and ordering, like chronological ordering, you can completely ignore it if you don't care enough to like kind of dive in that deep. Like it is a perfectly reasonable, well-paced musical experience, even if there's like chronological events that are out of order when you're listening in the, like the album ordering. Um, It's just one of those like extra Easter eggs that if you're a really big fan or you're just interested to dive a little bit deeper, um, it's one of those things available to you to explore. And one of the things that we both love about Lord Huron's art is that those avenues are there to those that are curious, but they don't detract from just the music itself. And they never do. Yeah, it, it essentially enhances the album experience and enhances like replay value. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a four dimensional object. Every time I listen to the album, I come out with like, oh, no, I think this is the new order. And it's always the end. Yeah ordering that i have the most difficult with the last songs in the album i have no idea where the hell those go but um we'll yes. we'll get to that mm-hmm. in a minute i do want to call attention to that this song is the most classic lord huron song on the entire album easily uh-huh. because that beginning with the like uh very ambient harp just going do 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 as um uh you're i guess floating in the star field it feels like it's plucked right out of Mighty or Into the Sun, like the original Lord Huron EPs. It is a carbon copy of that sort of style, like literally the old school Lord Huron. And then, of course, the guitar comes in strumming and we get more of like a, uh, I guess, more of a Strange Trails, slightly lonesome dreams sort of song throughout the majority of it. And um, from then on out, though, for every subsequent track in the album, save for potentially Wait by the River, um, it is of a new vein, which I love because this is a good way to ease listeners like us that have been with them for a long time, ease those longtime fans into this new style because we literally have that old school EP uh, sound, that vibe. And then we have callbacks to Strange Trails and Lonesome Dreams, that, that production and that kind of music before diving into this new sound for the rest of the record. And not to say these are like, it's an exact replica of their old style. There is like that Vin Noir spin to it, that taste to it, but um, it is clearly meant to sort of gracefully bring listeners in, longtime listeners in. And I just love how they do that with this opening. Yes, the placement is very intentional, and you nail it on the head. Because if we started off ancient names, I oh, don't think a lot of people would finish. Um, yeah. And that's not a knock against those songs or this album. It's just, again, there is that that sonic whiplash that's going to happen. And, oh, yeah, I, I love the start that, like, you described that, like, ambient sound. It, it sounds almost like 
you remember those like animatronic fortune telling machines? Yeah. Like the Zoltars? <laughs> it sounds like it's straight out of one of those. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of got that like almost cheap kind of sound to it a little bit, but it's so well produced that it works. It's we have that kind of like same do 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 like <laughs> the harp, have, yeah. That's almost like a little bit of a recurring theme throughout the whole album that they kind of tweak and play with. Sometimes it's like super ominous, like an emerald star at the very end where it's like, okay, versus a little bit more floaty and nebulous and lost time and space. So I just love that this is like a recurring kind of theme that they play with instrumentally throughout this entire album as kind of like the ambient backdrop, right? Absolutely. And to go back into how like they do a great job of the music pacing, but then also the storytelling, it works on both levels because obviously we already talked about how this eases the longtime listeners into like the new style by like literally calling back to the original like EP aesthetic and then into their most recent LPs. And then, you know, from here on out, it's the new stuff. So like it's a nice way to ease us into it. But from a storytelling perspective, this character's high as a freaking kite right now. And um, (laughs) everything from here on out, it's kind of like after the drugs, more or less. It's like, okay, now that the drugs are in our system, things change from here on out. Um, And that's when the new style hits hard. Yeah. And it's interesting that this is probably the most familiar to the past work. But it's almost like a flip at the other side of the coin narratively from the Lonesome Dreams album, where Lonesome Dreams, the main character we follow, kind of tries to express his love to his woman who presumably can't follow through with the relationship for other reasons. And he's left to go explore alone. Here we're the it's flipped on us. The the guy is left behind. Our yep. main character is left behind. His his love took away his money, went out west doesn't call him kind of ghosts him and he's kind of left with this just he's lonely he's depressed he doesn't know what to do and it's it's all in that kind of like floaty yeah he's 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 close to getting black brained (laughs) he's uh he's in a bad it's it's not good it's not good yes i'm glad you called attention to it because it is in many ways kind of like the big lebowski and that like this is our main character but he's not actually the main character. Like, she's the one going, like, she took the money, she ran, she's the one having this grand adventure, like, learning the dark knowledge, ancient knowledge, and, like, question mark ascending to the, like, realm of becoming the Emerald Star. All very confusing to me. That's a possibility. I, I'm curious to hear at the end of all this what your thoughts are on that. But, like, suffice to say, she definitely is the one having the bigger, crazier adventure. And, Almost the entire record, it's just him being like, woe is me, I can't believe she left me. And like the stages of grief there, everything from like, F her, I don't need her, I'm better off without her, to like, oh god, I screwed up, I'm the baddie, and then acceptance, like it's literally every stage of grief. (laughs) And that's what the main character that we're following is going through, not the grand adventure that she's going on. It is, I'm so glad he called it out because it is a very much an inverse of Lonesome Dreams where like the guy was the one that was like, oh, I got to go in here. It's the woman that's like, I got to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just love how this transitions and floats out too. Yeah, it, it's it's a great, great opener. And it does make you wonder, yeah, the subject matter, like, yeah, what are what is going on floating through time and space? What is... 
where are they getting at here? So it's, I mean, like some of the lyrics are here, staring into a pure black void. I guess she's gone for good. Like it's, yeah, it's like, what is our main character getting into here? And I, I will share my thoughts, but I'll, I'm going to reserve them when we kind of get to Emerald Star, because I do think that is the closing to the story. I agree. So I think we'll, we'll loop back into kind of our story theories, because I agree there's there's some different interpretations you could take with this. out we go to never ever and this is where that bass comes in and the drums that you were mentioning before like that is the predominant thing you hear after you come crashing down from that astral floating at the end of uh, lost in time and space what are your thoughts on never ever i think this starts the sonic whiplash right we have never ever in ancient names part one and then it crescendos in ancient names part two where they go full bore into it like they don't ever go as much into it as they do in part two in the rest of the album i've struggled with these three songs since i've listened to this album do i like them do i not like them? i like i'm constantly in this dance of like <laughs> trying to figure them out and all that so i would say where i'm landing today is digging more into the story and appreciating it for what it is, I really do like these because, yes, it is so different. They dive into, like, punk metal and then turn it up to 11 in part two. But that being said, Lord Huron's still there. It's not like they just like, oh, all that old style, we're just going to shove that down deep. Uh, uh. Like You have the harp and the production value that still carries through, again, that thematic Zoltar fortune-telling vibe from Lost in Time and Space is carried through even underneath all of this heavy, heavy, heavy just bass and just head-banging, rocking out. And I think that's what makes this work, is that they still throw in kind of their traditional Lord Huron echoey kind of chamber mixing into the vocals, and they kind of take a different take on it when they go full, like, 90s punk metal of Never Ever, where take a different spin where now it's like this staticky kind of like canned muffled version where you get the sense like the speakers are just being maxed out and you're everything's clipping right like you get the sense but it is not it yes feels like it's a compressed like gritty distorted thing but it is definitely not it is so carefully produced to like give that same tone that you would out of something that's fully distorted and grimy but it is definitely not it is as cleanly cut and pristinely produced as the facets of that gem on the cover so it's not like burnt to a sonic crisp it is like carefully chiseled away and polished down to this like razor sharp edge Oh, and I just love that. It is so textural in a way that we haven't gotten from a Lord Huron album before or since. And that is just a remarkable, remarkable achievement of production. I There's very few things I've heard that have given that 
mood, that same sort of sound that you would get out of something that's so heavily compressed and distorted without actually being so, that still comes across clean and well-produced. Yeah. Oh, And they, they try something new and it's not boring. That's, I think, the most important thing, right? Is it, it keeps you interested. Even if like, even if I, I know not every listener is going to like this kind of stylization alert here, and that's completely fair. I've said before, I've struggled with these songs myself as well. But I think regardless, everyone can agree, like, this is not a boring song. No. None of these are. These three in a row, this Never Ever to Ancient Names Part 1 to Part 2. And I think that's so important because I think, I don't want to jump ahead, but I think we've kind of had some of those complaints of Long Lost where, oh boy, things can get a little bit drab and boring when you experience with different things sometimes. So that's what I appreciate about this in contrast to what they do with Long Lost is something new Still, even if you don't really like the take or the sound, it's not boring. It still keeps your interest through the album. I'm just glad they kept it at these three songs. Though I did go further, I think "Wait by the River" is a very intentional placement after part two as well. Oh yeah, and with regards to it never getting boring, um, that's a combination, in my opinion, of like no song overstates its welcome. Yes, um, like never after or never ever. I keep saying never after, <laughs> never ever. <laughs> is just shy of three minutes. It is a cool, brisk song. And like they fit, what is it, like three verses, a chorus that it repeats twice, and then it's just done. It's yeah. just there and gone real quick. But the ones that stay around a little bit longer, like Ancient Names Part 1, which is a full six minutes, it doesn't feel that long because there are distinct segments of what are effectively different songs within that song, like a bridge that goes into an entirely different sort of uh, sound different genre even sometimes or an ending or an intro that's just wildly different than the sound of the rest of the song so it there's always stuff keeping things fresh you're never sitting there thinking like oh wow i'm listening to 60s rock redone today song after song after song without any real unique spins on it um not to throw long lost under the bus um <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to Long Lost eventually. We do want to break uh, before doing that, but we will get to it eventually. Um, but yes, 100% agree. Nothing ever gets stale here. Yeah. Also, I want to loop back and just kind of we were talking about the different albums. How does it feel to be right, Mark? Because <laughs> I think if we wind back that the, the real is right, we're like talking to him like, oh, where are they going to go next? And I remember you confidently saying space. They're going to go space. All right, so let's let's kind of close this out. I know we've talked a long time about this album, but <laughs> <laughs> let's um where do you think that Lord Huron as a band, not a fictional character, um as a band, where will they go next and and where do you want them to go? Space, honestly, cuz I mean, as much as I didn't really like the synth and way out there, I feel if they did a record focusing on synthy kind of spacey sounds, it might actually work really well. You're perhaps not like technically correct, but you're enough tangentially correct that it's frustrating. <laughs> it, it was it's more astral than yeah. space, I would say. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, that is the theme throughout, or one of the themes throughout is the like astral eldritch sort of splash in there. So <laughs> it feels good to answer your question. Yeah, it does it just, feel good to be right. It's a burden, but someone has to be. Yeah, I know that's a bit of a tangent, but I just, <laughs> I was thinking about that when I was typing up my song by song notes, like, 
damn it, that's right. He was right. (laughs) (laughs) Curses. Yeah. Um, But this is an example, right, where we're talking about how products of the universe really helps contextualize and understand what is going on here. Because, again, Lord Huron, sometimes frustratingly so, only gives like little. It's like if you miss something, you miss it. And sometimes then you can be a bit confused. So uh, something I want to highlight and just connect for, for listeners here is where we have the uh, the main character here using the mind pigment that they're advertising a products of the universe. So it's, it's kind of, it's not very explicit, but in the lyrics, I will draw her eyes with the pigment of my mind. I will trace her lines because I've traced them thousands of times in, in products of the universe. That's, that's a whole point of mind pigment that they're trying to get across that you could reconnect with your rekindle that old love and, and reach out to them. And, and you, we could see the the main character here struggling with it a little bit because we're kind of getting a glimpse of what, what these products are actually about, where he's talking about it, it, in, in the verse here, you're a conjured lie, a figment of my mind, but maybe I don't mind. And like, it's almost like he's crying out to her in his vision. Like, are you dead or are you alive? Like, am I actually reaching out to you and talking to you? And then it follows into, I'll, I will draw her eyes with the pigment of my mind. So, I, again, this is where I really think the products of the universe, like, as as kind of goofy as it is, can really help round out and give you kind of the nomenclature that you need to really kind of understand some of the story beats here. And this is definitely, I think, uh, where there are multiple kind of drugs or psychotelic self-care products in this universe and mind pigment, I think, is the one that's prominent here and never ever. Yep. And and again, to bring it back to, even if you were blissfully unaware of this like promotional material, like this is just good lyrics. Like, oh, I draw her eyes with the pigment of my mind. Like, oh, as if like you're an artist painting with your mind the memory of your long lost love. Like anyone can read that and understand the same um same idea, the same emotion that's trying to be conveyed there. But obviously, to your point, there actually is like the mind pigment in this universe being constructed here. So there is that little jewel there to be able to find if you are so inclined. But that doesn't detract from the lyrics as written. They can be interpreted in just like the standard way of like, oh, I my memory of you. It's as if I'm painting the memory of you. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, Mwah. Oh, it's perfect. It's great. Again, very good writing here. And, and that's yes. another layer where, again, yeah, even if you won't be bored, even if it's a different Sonic uh, kind of experience that you're not used to and don't like with Lord Huron, the lyrics are still, it builds the story, it carries it through. It it, it still will serve a good purpose, even if it's not your, your cup of tea, per se. Absolutely. ready for ancient names part one because i need to talk about this intro uh, yes let's get into it yeah that, i think that's a good transition point here i love this intro so to paint a sonic picture for you imagine you walk into one of those cheap kind of shady looking fortune teller 
uh, places you find in the city. Usually it's on the second floor and you could miss it if it wasn't for that like crappy stand-up uh, signage outside saying like, oh, a psychic reading for $10 <laughs> in today. Yeah, yeah. And you go upstairs and you go up these creaky stairs and the first thing you hear when you open the door is a cassette tape playing this like um, yes. kind of ethereal um, not something you'd hear at a spa, but definitely something that's supposed to set you into like a soothing state of mind with a bit of wonder and intrigue. Except that cassette has been played so many times over many, many, many years on what is clearly the cheapest tape deck they could yeah. find for yeah. this establishment. So clearly, whoever he's going to see has been doing this for a very very long time or this is a practice that has been passed down and has existed for a long time because that tape has so much wow and flutter it's it's like you're on at the teacup ride at disney world like it is just going every which way that tape (laughs) speeds are going everywhere so it is i love the sound of that because then it's like oh i'm walking to like an old place but like no that does communicate like okay like this is They've been at this for a long time. Mm-hmm. This is either a family business or whoever's been he's about to see is has been here for a long time because that tape does not sound good. And it's amazing the storytelling that's able to be done without saying a single word. Like that's how good the production is here. And I think you just nailed it on the head, right? That like we get that feeling of yeah, it's very. I think you described it perfectly when saying it's it's like a cassette, and it it's like it. It sounds like 90s crappy technology. <laughs> so that's why like, I constantly think of this as this almost dystopic look at the optimistic technological 90s, right? It's, it, it's all done without saying a single word. Yep. But then the the song itself picks up. And again, you were like very astute to point out that like this record is extremely bass forward, more so than any other Lord Huron record, because the first thing we hear after the tape sort of like whirls out then the bass comes in just like thumping away and um we hear about why the narrator is visiting the fortune teller and the first thing that sticks out to me after the song like picks up and changes um pace like this this like second phase of the song is that wonderful production little easter egg that little spin when he says far out beyond the astral plane i call you by your ancient name like the actual audio track when he's singing that is compressed as if it's being like squeezed through a funnel and then it opens back up so it's like the song itself the audio was like as if you're squeezing into the astral plane yourself it's so wild and it's there and gone and he never does it again it's just that one area and if you listen to it you can hear that compression squeezing his audio and it's just his voice as it opens back up oh it's gorgeous and they they do things like that throughout the record and that again goes into the pristine production it's like the crispest cleanest cut jewel you can you can find because uh going all the way back to uh lost in time and space uh, when he initially sings for the first time i don't know who i am i don't know where i am that audio is like echoed and panned back and forth in a way that if it's dizzying it's like someone spun your chair around and you close your eyes it's like disorienting hearing that audio bounce around it uh just like the here the that squeeze effect and there's other areas throughout the record as well where there's just those 
wonderful attentions to sonic detail that we've come to expect and love about Lord Huron's production and music. Yeah, and I 100% agree. And again, I love that Lost in Time and Space is the start because it sets us up uh, sonically with that harp kind of carrying through that eerie kind of fortune telly psychedelic vibe that carries through even when they go full metal you can still hear the harp kind of strum in the background occasionally and even here too it's like that harp with a weird reverb mixed with the metal bass guitar and drums like it's such a unique sound hearing those things together like i don't think i've heard that before it's just such a breath of fresh air um oh yeah so yeah i I love this one, the opening, the lead in, and just it, it helps build up to part two as well. It's ah, mm, it, it's a yeah. great one. Yeah, I love the subject matter, too. Like it's it, uh, the fortune that is just like, oh, yeah, you're 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 a walking dead meat, man. <laughs> you, you don't have long for this world. And he's like, oh, no. Turns out my spouse, my girlfriend, my uh, love interest, whoever she is to him is a uh, might be bad news. He's like, I gotta, I gotta get away from her. I gotta get away from here. So uh, it's, uh, oh, I love that. It's super funny because it's intriguing. It's like, okay, but like, you know, all we have gotten really so far is that the love interest took his money and left. But now, now we're getting like, okay, like there's something else going on here. Like, is she, is she actually bad news or did she do something or like clearly? He seems to think she's the cause of this death sentence, basically, from the fortune teller or prediction, rather. Um, so it's very intriguing. It opens up that that door to us wondering a little bit more about the nature of their relationship and why exactly she left and all of that. Yeah. And he's really getting caught up into this. He kind of get a sense that like, uh oh, it's kind of getting away from him a little bit here. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, he goes off the rails a little. And it's uh, <laughs> He's experimenting again with more of these products. And again, I want to call back to I'll be kind of our products of the universe guide through this podcast uh, discussion here. We have far out past the astral plane. I cast you back from whence you came. Yeah. So he's like kind of all, I go back, <laughs> go back. Cosmic ash and black and brain. So again, back to where they're presenting about the cosmic ash. If you get black brain, kind of like you did in Lost in Time and Space here, Cosmic Ash is kind of like your your recovery, right? So Cosmic Ash and Black and Brain, I call you by your ancient names. It's like, uh-oh, I'm speaking tongues now. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. It's a, ex- yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I got to call attention to the ending as well. Like, what a gorgeous little outro. Leaving just like what is some sort of synth in this very light, airy, sonic landscape uh, you can feel you can hear like the the ambience the space around you um it has this sense of of grand scale you're not indoors you're like somewhere floating high 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 above the sky and you just hear that nice that nice beautiful synth just tapping away and it's um it's beautiful and it does prepare you i guess for the crashing down in part two but um so i think that that all that like instrumentation too i think is very intentional right because i think it kind of puts us into the headspace our main character's in right because whenever it is kind of like his voice is like reverbed and you have like this floaty like it's obvious he's still either hung over or under the influence of something so it's like that's what's so cool about the story here is you kind of almost don't know what's real in terms of like an outsider point of view versus 
he's just kind of hallucinating or just getting caught up in it because he's not thinking clearly. Oh, yeah. He's an unreliable narrator. Yeah, he he really is. And it's kind of cool how that juxtaposed with, say, like, Wait by the River and some other songs where it is very much more clear. Okay, maybe he's more of clear head here because we're more clearly able to, like, kind of follow the thought process here and kind of the vocal delivery. It's not like we're floating and <laughs> feeling a little loopy, right? <laughs> so um, I, I think it's just, again, how they present this is amazing because we're able to intuit that without it being told to us, without them holding our hand, it's all through the music. We got to talk about part two. (laughs) Yes, because this is where they then take that speaker, crank it to 11, man. (laughs) They have never like rocked as hard as they do here. It's kind of a bit of a whiplash. It's like you come crashing down from as high in part one. And uh, oh, yeah, he is uh, not in a good place right here. He's talking about gone are the days of laughter and love. And I live my life like this just to prove to the world I exist like this emo motherfucker over here. Like, uh, calm down. But he's clearly not in good mental state right here. He's coming down from uh, quite the high. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Um, And going back to like the stages of grief, this is definitely anger here. Yes. The most angry the narrator ever gets uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, And again, talking about how songs don't overstay their welcome, it could get a little bit tiring to hear this for a long time just because it is such such a rocker. (laughs) And it it does stand out with the sound of the rest of the record. Um, But (laughs) I got to talk about the ending for this one. Like, it's like the song breaks. Like, you know that audio sound effect, the boing? Yeah. Like, it's as (laughs) if the song does that. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like all of the electronic based music or instruments uh stopped working leaving just like maybe the the banjo over here and like billy bob on his two string whatever and that's the sonic vibe of the end it's i don't know how else to describe it Yeah, it's it, it, it's a good one. I mean, so when you're asking like what my first impressions were, the band opened up when they played live. I think kind of traditional style that they do do for the new releases. They essentially like run through the first half of the new release and they did this and they went through never ever ancient names part one, part two. And I was kind of left with again, I had no idea any of this music. I think maybe to your point, I listened to Wait by the River because Amy played it for us, but Aside for that, I went in cold, and that's what I mean. It's kind of like jumping in a cold water. It kind of takes your breath away where it's like, whoa, especially live when they went full ham into oh, this. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it, it was a bit jarring, but again, the production value very well done live where you have this giant cut jeweled neon sign that's like blaring. Like it's 
the the lighting is following the beat of the song. It, it very mm-hmm. well done. The the crew for their uh, live performances do a great job on that. That's for sure. So, oh yeah, it's always a production. Yes, but yeah, that's kind of why I said it, this album's a grower because if you went into this, especially live, it's it's like whoa. I bet a lot of people too at that live performance were a bit like wait wait wait. Wait, are we are we at the right band? <laughs> like a little yeah, bit. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I I think definitely when you kind of get over that initial shock, I these are growers, and that's kind of where I'm landing. Is that the this is a solid, solid start to an album for sure. So then we get to Wait by the River, which, uh, as we mentioned before, was the first track I heard from the record. And this sounds like it could potentially have been from Strange Trails. Like, this definitely is the most Strange Trails track of the entire record. This is another kind of homage back to that most recent LP when this was initially released. And um, the thing that sticks out to me here is that it sounds like there's initially nothing going on. Like, you get just that bass and the drum kind of leading you in Mm -hmm. to your point about that being like the kind of foundation for the record, the sonic landscape we're playing in here. But what what I find so fascinating about this particular song is the way uh, it pushes and pulls, the waves go in and out. It's very Jessica Hoop in Memories Are Now, like the way that she does her same swells for that record, because in that record, she uh, similarly has very stripped back, very bare instrumentals and swells and adds the accentuations and the details when it accentuates the point she's trying to make and then it pulls back again and then it swells back and then it pulls back. And granted, there's artists that do this very, very frequently, but there are few that do it as tactfully as Lord Huron does here as as well as Jessica Hoop and Memories Are Now. And that's... uh, it's very hard to do well in the way that Lord Huron has done here. And it's just, I love that ebb and flow to the the pacing of this. I, I, I don't know if you feel the same listening to this. I don't know if this is one you like, but. Oh, it's a, I don't know how you not like this song. It's such a groovy song. And I just, I really like the lyrics here and the descriptions. Again, I, they're a really, really shine this album. Like the visuals that they convey here, like. And the stars fill the river as it flows into the sky and the mind leaves the body and floats higher and higher. It's like you kind of like build this like trippy mindscape. Kind of where I see this in terms of outward if it's in the story is here's our user. Now he's obviously been experimenting with mind pigment and other of these uh, of these products, I guess, as they're called. Um, we'll, we'll call them the psychedelic self-care drugs. I kind of view this as him contemplating taking Vide Noir. In Products of the Universe, this is 
described uh, when they have a, one of the movie scenes. It shows our main character asking this one performer, like, hey, where is she? Where is she? What has she done? He's obviously being caught up like, hey, what's v, what's V Noir? And the way that she describes it is like V Noir is a space shuttle while Rainbow, which was the other uh, <laughs> uh, product of that is not it's not discussed by Marsha and Dale, but it's alluded to in the, the movie clip um, is the Greyhound bus. <laughs> so it's it's kind of conveyed that this is yes, this is the way you obliterate your mind and slingshot yourself to the astral plane like i kind of view it like almost like it's a little bit like like full metal alchemist where they go to the gate after they committed the taboo yes. like I, I that's kind of the mindset it kind of brings me to is that you're you're getting to the bounds of space and time with this and it, it's very much him contemplating it like he's he's vented his frustrations and obviously kind of going through anger i kind of view this as like He's kind of contemplating taking yeah. that step because he it's obviously lost his job. He has no money. He went out to the coast. He's got nothing to lose. So he's kind of, I think, experimenting with that. And I view this as like as a song builds, right? It's kind of like, oh, things are starting to take effect here. <laughs> like, I think that's what the instrumentals are really kind of conveying here. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And with regards to the narrative there, I definitely see this as before the narrator does V Noir. For like 100%. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the thing that happens before. Um and I haven't quite decided if Lost in Time and Space is while he's super high as a kite on V Noir transporting into the astral plane. I haven't really decided if that's like the next song afterwards or if it's back from the edge. It's unclear. Yeah. But um I guess we can talk about that afterwards. But the the little detail here that I do find quite interesting is the baby, I don't mean the things I said. I don't honestly wish she were dead. I'm a fool. I'm just a man. If I only could hold you gun. He's just a boy. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> But okay, I love this because up till now we don't we didn't really know why she left. Like we had like some sort of idea about like okay, maybe like maybe she just maybe she just wanted the money and she up and left or oh, maybe maybe there was a fight or maybe she's doing it to protect him. Like we we're, we're left just kind of to guess like the narrator why she left and even if she's still alive, but here we do get a little bit of details and I like to think at least based on my theoretical ordering, that when she initially, I guess, opened his mind to this knowledge, he reacted poorly and um, in fear and was basically, yeah, told her, like, go get lost, go die. Like, this is terrible. Why would you do this to me? Um, And I like to think that's why she's gone throughout the, the whole record is the things he said in reaction to her doing the things that were described are going to be described later in the album. So it, it is kind of both her and his fault with regards to that. And it, it sheds a little bit more light into, I guess, what happened between them, between the couple in this record. Um, I don't know. Did What are your thoughts on this? Because this is this ordering here is the most tricky of, I yes. think, any Lord Huron record we've gotten. Because I, I have a good idea about, we both have a pretty solid idea of the ordering for Lonesome Dreams. Like, that's pretty concrete. Strange Trails, a little bit more nebulous, but I think we have a fairly solid idea of 
the general narrative and there's it's more vignette based for mm-hmm. strange trails yes. anyway but this definitely has a through line like lonesome dreams but it's way harder to pin down so i'm sorry my question was what do you think yeah it it, it is a tricky one especially at the second half of the album though i think it narratively fits that we go from way by the river to lost in time and space then into back from the edge Okay, I'm glad we're in agreement here. (laughs) I think that makes sense, though that's honestly kind of the fun of this, is that like each time I listen to it, I kind of get a new take on it. And I do have kind of a weird crack theory that I'll discuss at the end of like what's going on here. But yeah, it it is kind of hard to piece it together. But I do think it makes more sense that never ever I kind of view as a little bit more of like the start of the journey because it's the my pigment seems like a little bit lighter of a thing and he's just kind of experimenting but then it's I think it's obvious like ancient names ancient names part one and two he's he's doing something more I'm not sure what goes before that but then I think it kind of leads logically in a way by the river here so yeah yeah it, it is kind of hard to fit these pieces together and that that is why I recommend that people check out the auxiliary material because it it does help and it it's fun you can engage with the material and i like how they don't give you like a clear-cut answer where yeah it's left up to interpretation like and in some aspects that their other albums are too like we don't really know like oh does buck vernon like literally die at the end of fool for love or is he okay <laughs> like we don't really know right and yeah. we don't really ever find out if um if george ranger johnson kind of how he ties up the story right of lonesome dreams like we don't really know those exact pieces and i like that because you really kind of you have a bit of ownership over it you kind of make your own story in a sense so yeah i i agree though i i think it does make more sense that lost of time and space does come after this i think that logically follows then we get to secret of life this is the tasty one i personally think this is the first song in the record uh chronologically speaking yes like this reads to me like the astral plane far realm forbidden knowledge that she's learned she's either imparted on him he overheard or accidentally consumed as well or she maybe bestowed it on him to protect him potentially and he didn't understand like there's a lot of different ways you can read into this but um yeah like this i think is the thing that sets things off i like to think this is why like after this he goes to the fortune teller and that's where that whole thing sets in motion but um yeah like this one's pretty wild we get uh some tiebacks back to like firm tiebacks back to strange trails. Like I, I got to read this verbatim. I sit alone in the dark and try to remember the words you spoke when you summoned the ender. You chained my life to an ancient master. Will the curse be reversed if I say it backwards? Oh, shit. <laughs> she's the one that brought the world ender to the world in strange trails yes she did it yeah and the world ender <laughs> doesn't know how he came back 
Like it, it's unexplained. Um, and it is so cool how they are starting to tie this together a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was awesome. Um, and it does, like you mentioned at the beginning that she kind of drags him into this in a sense, like she, she chained him then now to what she was kind of going for here to the ancient master. And that's kind of like ancient master. I think balancers. eye. those are kind of used interchangeably, I think here. So, I mean, to even solidify it, I, I got to read the next verse too. Then when you crossed a line at the edge of the void and you can't crawl back without making a choice, but then something escaped when you opened the gate, you cheated death and sealed your fate. Like, Ooh, my goodness. Um, mm-hmm. Ah, so then what was the choice? Like letting the thing in as she crawls back. So like, uh, you get the sense maybe that she went in over her head. Uh, like at least again, he's an unreliable narrator. We know this. This is an established thing. So this could very well have been a different sort of set of circumstances. Like if we look at this uncharitably, like, yeah, she got in way over her head. And in order to save her own skin to come back to the realm of the living from the astral plane, she let the world enter in along with her. Like that is the most uncharitable take we can see here. But um, I don't know. I like to think that's not quite the reality of the situation here. But again, unreliable narrator, these are the only details we have. So, oh, it's just so fascinating. And I do love, there's this interview with Ben, um, Ben Schneider with uh, Stereo Gum, where he does indeed confirm that this is like a firm callback to Strange Trails, uh, where he said in movies and literature and comic books, I've always liked where there's connectedness and crossover. Mm -hmm. We need someone to control the lore and keep tabs on it. Laughs. Um, Don't worry, Ben. (laughs) We have you here at Bad Music Hurts. (laughs) But yes, uh, like, so this is confirmed, like, definitely that, classic Lord Huron crossover Marvel <laughs> aspect to it. Which makes me wonder, because he's been quoted before, like NPR interviews, that we have not seen the last of George Ranger Johnson's uh, tales. So uh, I'm really curious to see what comes comes next. But uh, oh, yeah. But yes, I, I do love the tie ins here. I think it's very clever. And again, like, you know, it's so easy to miss that. It's a brief detail then and done. And I, I think it's just the efficiency of the storytelling is is pretty good there. So I do want to call attention. There's an interesting thematic uh, twist here, uh, a flip from what we've gotten in previous Lord Huron records. Like the whole concept of living forever has always been explored by Lord Huron as like a really masculine thing. Like I want to be the man who lives forever. Like, oh, yeah, you, you do that, man. It's like a triumphant thing. And then you got, of course that young kid getting raised from the dead, that greaser. Um, and, oh, what was the track in Strange Trails? Um, dead Man's Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's played so triumphantly. It's got this glorious harmonica leading the guy out. He's, he, he goes into the sunset waving his dead hand. They're like, see ya, man. Like, it's done triumphantly, this concept of living forever. But throughout this record, it is always painted as something really dangerous and forbidden like oh you told me you're never gonna die how am i supposed to sleep through the night this narrator is scared of the concept of living forever and this this woman he was with is clearly not and is um either obsessed with it or said it flippantly or it is a stated goal like again an unreliable narrator here but um i love that inverse because that's a a different perspective than we've gotten before from them yeah, it's been flirted with before in um in Frozen Pines as well. That's true. 
that's more of a grieving perspective though where it, the the narrator wants to join wants to cross the line and join the others essentially just to not be alone so yeah i agree there are a lot of recurring themes that lord huron plays with here and th- this is certainly an interesting perspective where it's a little bit more shocking where like before it was more like fictional like fantasy of doing that but then it's like oh so you actually want to do that um okay so you're gonna need to take this fin noir <laughs> slingshot past the astral plane uh, <laughs> uh sign yourself over to the ancient master and it's like oh whoa, wait 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 whoa 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 <laughs> like that's not what i wanted <laughs> like gain our mortality in five easy steps yeah <laughs> oh man so it is kind of funny it is kind of like to your point like oh if you actually want this, this is what it takes and it Whoa, okay, maybe, maybe not. Like, <laughs> maybe I don't want that. <laughs> I was nearly destroyed when I looked in her eyes. I got lost in the void as I pondered the sides. I got black brain to death. Oh, I love back from the edge the next track it is one of my favorites here because the acoustics acoustics come back (laughs) oh oh yes so i mean again i think that's pretty that's an intentional thing i would say like it's bringing it back to reality literally he's falling back to earth but then this is the most like grateful we've seen the narrator and it's kind of a breath of fresh air because he's been kind of whinging this whole record if he'd continued doing that the entire record uh, he would it would be a little bit of a of, of a bummer mm-hmm. um so to have him show some like genuine surprise and gratitude is it's such a nice new perspective at the halfway point of the record here um and i do love the imagery and i like to think it's like literal in the sense of, like he fell back to earth through a hole in the sky crashed into the sea somehow survived i love the bewilderment for him he has no idea how he survived he clearly wasn't planning to of course in songs it's classic to just repeat a line again and again for emphasis or whatever but here ben's inflections and the tone of the song and stuff it's clear the narrator's like repeating to himself almost to convince himself it's true like i'm back from the edge i'm back from the edge i'm back from the how like both surprised happy confused like it's all of those emotions in one and it is strange because by all accounts this is this has never happened before. When someone's taken Vid Noir, their soul's been obliterated into the astral plane. Like they're gone. Yeah. Like that is this is an unusual occurrence. And that's what I find so interesting. Mm-hmm. What makes him special? Uh, cause so far, the answer is nothing. Nothing makes this guy <laughs> special. And I mean that in the most uh polite way possible. He clearly has no special abilities, no special like like there's nothing about him. He's always worried, always panicked. He can't make up his mind. He's not the special one here. I think clearly she is, because she's the one that ventured out into the astral plane and and maybe did some bad things, made some mistakes. But I wonder here if this is like due to some sort of proactive protection that she's done to him or if the secret knowledge the ancient knowledge he's learned implicitly protects him from this sort of stuff or potentially this was like an active act of protection from her uh when she i guess discovered that he was about to you know (laughs) go uh the way of the astral plane like uh, who knows uh what is your take on this i think Based on what you're describing, I, I've never thought of it that be, of that way before. But because I, I think 
I think people do survive Vin Noir on the regular based on what we see in products of the universe. I think people use it. It's just if you OD or black brain, that's where bad things happen. I think the reason that like I interpret Wait by the River as he goes full in and like just downs the whole thing or whatever. Right. I think he survives because what we hear in Secret of Life where he his life is chained to the ancient master by her. So I kind of view that as he's kind of what you mentioned before, where she kind of did a bit of a protection on him on that because she was kind of trying to rope him into it uh, when she was kind of describing to him the secret of life right and going through it so maybe make him immortal as well or like so they could both live forever and he just uh was spooked by the whole thing i don't know yeah Mm -hmm. very interesting but yes it is such a triumphant ending such a triumphant song a grateful song oh it is a breath of fresh sea air in this record and i love that it's here again for the musical pacing of it all like it's squarely in like that center bit of the record and it's just a nice way to keep things fresh keep things interesting as opposed to hearing the same thing again and again and again we do have this new tone this new uh style musical style and um just a great way to keep things moving along So then the next one, The Balancer's Eye. Ooh, this is like the lore-filled backstory, I guess. But then that's it's like of two parts. There's two narrators here. Like we get like some sort of old god or something. And then, of course, the narrator comes back a few times near the end. Um, it's definitely a clear shift in narrator voice. So there's definitely two different speakers throughout this song but i love the lore of it is it the devil or is it some fallen god or something like and it paints this balancer like the judge god whoever you want to call it as like not a very sympathetic or kind entity again i think this fallen entity whatever it is could also be considered an unreliable narrator absolutely but at the same time like Some of this wording does seem to be that this balancer is neither good nor bad, just like a pure neutral and maybe even neutral bad. Chaotic neutral is kind of the way I see it. Chaotic neutral. Yes. Yes. A chaotic neutral entity. So like I'm wondering is is that entity the one that's caused whatever this one is to – oh, God. I I just don't know. I just don't know. How do you think this fits into the larger – narrative is this just backstory painting uh just for the sake of world building like what do you think yeah i wasn't really sure what to make of this one i think i think you're right in the sense that it is kind of lore building but we don't really get a whole lot said about this balancer's eye and i kind of see the balancer's eye as also like ancient master and all that it's kind of like all like one thing right it's just like different terms for the same thing but yeah you're right i mean it's very much everyone's a sinner in the balancer's eye it kind of is Going back to some stuff that I've spoken into in like late strange trails, right? It kind of reminds me of that, like in the yawning grave and other stuff like that, um, where they kind of flirt with with the same subject matters here. So with the lore, yes. yeah, and I, I think you're right. It's it's hard to pinpoint because again, we have the unreliable narrator here, where it's like, is it in my mind? Is it in my mind? Can I cross the line? 
Yeah, I, I'm not really sure what to make of this one, but I think it does help frame up like, okay, well then how do I change the universe? And I think maybe the way I kind of look at this is it is all possible that this isn't the same character we've been following as just like a person in the universe to help establish like, okay, well, what if I do want to change the universe? How do I do it? How do I do it? Then we get this really ominous follow the emerald star at the end. And it's like, oh, And then we, it leads us right into when the night is over. What a lead-in that is. Just a ooh. And I love that. It's it's the answer to the question. Tell me, how do I change the universe? Follow the Emerald Star. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that shit. So good. But yes, this one is just the most fascinating to me. I like to think that the narrator that comes in at the end is the one that we've been following. Will I see you again on the astral plane? Why did learning the truth make me feel worse? Like, this sounds like the same guy. Mm -hmm. Tell me, how does a man change the universe? Like, I don't know necessarily what his goal is here. Is it just to get her back? Is it to undo the mistake of bringing the world ender in? Like, that sounds like what's being applied here. Like, how do I change the universe? Like, the only thing that would be big enough to earn that sort of claim, that question would be like, oh, they brought the world ender in. Let's bring him back where he came from or so help me. Like, that so sort of thing. It, it could be the balancer eye is who he goes to, right, to... Actually, it's kind of jogging my memory here. In the products of the universe, the balancer's eye is actually something you could purchase. Oh my like, god, of course it is. It's like the lumped mass of giant quartz crystals <laughs> and whatever. What I see is this is like, okay, well, he now knows he's tied to this curse. He knows it can't be reversed because he's now tied to an ancient master, right, in secret life. But towards the end here, right before it closes, he asks, now I know that I can't lift an old curse. Tell me, how do I change the universe? So he's like, well, if I can't change the curse... How do I change everything the curse is framed around? And that the answer to all this, yes, is this very ominous follow the Emerald Star, which I think is essentially the reply then the balancer's eye gives him, essentially. Uh, yeah. Before we get to when the night is over, I do. I This Emerald Star, I just don't know what to make of it. Is it her? Did she literally ascend to like what well, in tabletop games we'd consider godhood? Is that literally what happened here? Or is the Emerald Star a separate entity entirely? And if so, is it what's its alignment? Is it a neutral entity? Is it a good entity? Like, I just don't know. Because when the night is over, paints the Emerald Star in a very particular ominous light. Mm -hmm. Not something that's particularly kind or good um at least in the way that it's embellished with the music and the tone of uh ben singing so it's i don't know what to make of the emerald star but here at least here it does seem to imply that the emerald star would be the solution to this or be a help to this problem in some way shape or form so the way i see it is the emerald star is the physical manifestation of this ancient master or balancer's eye, right? So that's the way I see that. That's how people perceive it, right? Because in Products of the Universe, there's like a clip from WBUB News where it's an actual like news style clip. And this guy's like out like a weather report, like, hey, we've been uh, getting odd reports. We're going to follow it of uh, unusual coloring in the sky. Uh, we have the Air Force is looking into it as well as NASA. And so it's like, oh, so it's not just people that take these drugs that see this. It's 
obviously they're summoning this occult and dealing with it almost kind of like stranger things right the upside down or like this other dimensional being right and they're kind of colliding the two worlds and people that aren't like into this are seeing it where like this news reporter it like clips to him at the very end like there's foam in the sky the colors are like green and we get this giant shining spotlight in the sky and this emerald shows and it's like oh is going down <laughs> so and that's actually where we see dale frandor after he's with marcia he's in the background of this news report just opening his arms and walking towards it so it's it's very much the the, the thing that i get across from here is that these people that deal with these kind of self-care psychedelic drugs and this occult have kind of like some in this other dimension and are like kind of colliding them together, essentially. Unknowingly or knowingly, it's it's happening. Yep. And I, I think it very much is a, obviously, Dale literally, literally is standing there welcoming, welcoming it with open arms and trying to ascend himself up into it. So, yeah, I that's kind of how I interpret this, is that this Emerald Star is essentially that physical manifestation, what people see. Of the balancer's eye. Yes. I mean jewels and eyes and things like that they do sometimes tend to be used like you know as a symbolic thing like oh the jewel is the eye the emerald eye the mm-hmm. bouncer's eye like i could definitely see that i like that i might i might appropriate that theory yeah so I, i'd recommend watching uh the proxy universe towards the end because it has that cool clip from wbub news and they kind of go over that so it's it's kind of cool But we need to get to when the night is over. Oh, I love this song. This, oh, this is up there as kind of the front runner. I mean, what a, what a journey this song is. That's what I love about it. It goes so many different places. Not a traditional song structure. You kind of feel like you're on this journey. It's like a five minute song where we're kind of going through things here. And it's not like a standard verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It. It's kind of the culmination climax of things going on here a little bit, but kind of hearkening back to Wait by the River, the groove of this song. Oh, Oh, just they really lean into that bass again. And it's like, again, it kind of eases you in and we're kind of back to our main character again here where he's been lonely long enough. Well, I find you when the night is over. I think this is a tie back to. The fortune teller in ancient names where he knows he's on a limited time scale. He's like, well, I'm I was told I was supposed to die. How do I change the universe here? Okay, I got to follow the Emerald Star. All right. Am I going to find her when this night is over? And it's obvious he's being like kind of haunted by this. He almost hallucinating in a sense where he's seeing her in reflections and shadows. And it's literally he's driving him insane. (laughs) Yeah. And then he knows he has a limited time frame. So it's he's kind of caught in the middle of this. And all this is culminating, building up all with this base sapping driven groove. What a great uh, kind of tie into the story. And then also, yeah, the weather's changing. So, again, this is tying into kind of that news clip that we saw in Proxy Universe where 
this physical manifestation, these worlds are coming together <laughs> and things are happening. We got weird colors going on in the sky and he actually then starts seeing the emerald in the sky. And I, I love the lyrical descriptions here of this craziness that's going on where he talks about my time, I fear, is nearly over when the ocean drinks the sky and the city winks its eye. And I love the little like instrumental accentuation that they do around that phrase. Just what a great, like weird, bizarre visual, right? For this kind of city drenched neon bathed city that they've constructed in this album. But yeah, he <laughs> and now he's actually like truly tripping it at the end. Like, am I lost inside my mind? There's an emerald in the sky. What the hell is going on? <laughs> it's wonderful. I think you touched on it, but it's it's just the dynamic range here and throughout the record, like most notably recently was Wait by the River, where when the night is over, it starts pretty stripped back. It's kind of just that bass, the drums, not not much else is going on. And it's kind of quiet even too, but it knows to fill out lush soundscapes and then like strip them back when necessary. It's used only to accentuate and like really drive emotion where it is warranted. And then uh, it holds itself back and you're stripped back again. Uh, oh, now the trail has gone cold. And it feeds along with the emotion and the narrator's progression so, so well. And I love that because there's just that urge uh, for production nowadays to just kind of do that I guess a new version of Wall of Sound from back in the, like the Spill Spectre days which is like, make everything loud everywhere, all at once, always. There's mm-hmm. no quiet parts. Even the quiet parts are loud. There's no like sense of movement or progression or regression. There's just, there's just the thing. Um, it's very static. But here it's just a beautiful testament to what you can do when you give a shit and you don't do that. You don't give in to that <laughs> urge and you let Things be quiet and still when they yes. need to be still for emotional reasons or narrative reasons. Um, and then when things swell, it hits you that much harder when he's like, there's an emerald in the sky and everything that gets hinted at throughout the song rushes in to support that phrase. Like, oh my God, it's as if you're looking up yourself and you're being blinded by that emerald mm-hmm. city, bright green Eldritch <laughs> emerald hovering in the sky, causing all of these weird weather effects and things. It's just, I love their musical storytelling so, so much. Mm-hmm. That's a great descriptor. They are so confident to let things breathe. And then when yes. it hits, it means something. That's a great descriptor. I, and I agree how they all build up to that. Am I lost inside my mind? And it all just falls down instrumentally there's an emerald in the sky that's that's a great part of the song where it it earns that it earns it (laughs) so um yeah this is a great one i think kind of calling back to when we're talking about the vocal delivery i think this is more where our, our narrator is a little bit more mentally he's not mentally gone because the vocal delivery is a little bit more like oh yeah i can follow along with this it's not like he's having a bunch of mixing done to his vocals. Like, I think he's of sound mind at this moment. Um, And then it seems to kind of devolve into, uh uh-oh, things are coming when the Emerald comes here. So, and that's where I think, okay, and we get into V Noir and 
uh, <laughs> he fully leans into it. <laughs> so... have to talk about moonbeam uh, yeah this one i'm not sure what to make of to be honest it's a bit of the odd duck out of this lineup it doesn't really fit yeah i don't know what are your thoughts i think you have stronger thoughts than i do on this so i'll let you go okay i i continue to attest that lord huron has this um quirk where they have a <laughs> bum song. One bum song every record. I like to think that Lonesome Dreams avoids this catastrophe uh, with Brother just because the emotion and the story of Brother, I think, saves the lackluster instrumental. It's just a badly written song, in my opinion. And I know I love Brother, don't get me wrong, but it is not a great constructed song. It's not. The narrative elevates it, but objectively yes. it's not like that's what you're saying objectively you don't consider exactly. it like a well-constructed and executed song yeah indeed yes um strange trails was not so fortunate because <laughs> luisa also the second to last the penultimate song on the record is god awful i've been on record with being that that song is a mistake <laughs> that needed to be either rehauled or completely scrapped for something else because it just it's um i've we've talked at length about that go back to the previous uh episode listeners if you want to hear my extended thoughts on that but suffice to say there's a pattern where the penultimate or near end song on the record is always um pretty bad for reasons that aren't really clear um and moonbeam uh, I guess holding the pattern slightly because it's not the penultimate song it's the song before the penultimate song but Oh, God, it's so bad. The way it's written and the way it's sung, it's like he's mocking. You know when you're pretending to sing a song and you're doing it in an obnoxious way intentionally? It sounds like he's doing that here. But trying to play it straight, I just don't... Oh, God. And it's a shame because I like the beginning instrumental that they're building up, but it's just the minute that it goes like super sappy, honey. God, I can't, I can't stand how saccharine this song is. I, please save me from talking more about this. Narratively, I view this as the last few like good memories, right? Because throughout this whole album, it's been a bit like, downtrodden and drab in terms of the relationship it's all been kind of like we've been concentrating on this event of her leaving him going to this far western place and kind of dumping him and ghosting him so i kind of view this as a little bit of him kind of having one last dream and remembering the good things right and i think that's probably why sonically it is kind of like almost a little bit like cartoony in that sense right so that's that's probably like the best, I guess, kind of description. But and I'm not saying I necessarily enjoy this. I agree. It kind of just it doesn't really do much for me. But narratively, I think that's the purpose it's trying to serve um, is trying to kind of tie into the good times that they had um, back when it wasn't like all so downtrodden. Um, yeah, I could use a few laughs and a couple of songs. 
Yeah, you'll be leaving me soon. Like hell you will. Like, oh, they're kind of teasing each other because maybe she's been flirting with this idea of like leaving. And he's kind of like, oh, yeah, like hell you will. No, you're staying with me. Right. So it's like I kind of view this as kind of the rose tinted shades look at the past and the the good things. Right. I like this interpretation because up till now, I've taken this perhaps a little bit too literally. Aside from the I had a dream, like I didn't think it was literally a dream. I thought like literally, oh, he's being saved by somebody, um, probably his um, love interest. Unclear. But no, I, I I like this take, especially with what follows at the very end of the record. I think this is the better approach that no, this is a dream, like a happy dream. First time in a long time, kind of the echoes of the good times they did have. Because you're right, up up until now, we've only heard about the bad times with him and her, you know, following uh, the secret of life. So I do like that this is like we get a little bit of them being happy together for the first and only time on the record, you know, even if it is just in a dream. So, yeah, I'm going to appropriate that. I like that take. That's a good take. I still hate the song. That's at least my headcanon. I agree. It's. I don't I don't think it really like adds much to where like I don't think this album would like suffer without it. And it's it's not one I really look forward to, but I don't think it really does any harm per se. Uh I mean I think it does harm because it kills the pacing, but um that's besides the point. I'm done talking about this song. Do you have anything else you want to add about Moonbeam? I do not. Um I, I think I think it's important based on like the subject matter and lead into the end to kind of have something like this to break it up. I know you don't like the pacing. I think sometimes it's needed. Um, I mean, we kind of had that with Wait by the River and Back from the Edge. You kind of lighten it up in between these more kind of bass driven, kind of ominous, melancholic songs. So I I think stuff like this is kind of thematically needed, um, even though like sonically it may not be what we want at the moment. So onto the title track, V wow. Noir. V Noir title track being almost the last, second to last here. So yeah, penultimate song on the record. We're kind of jumping back in time as well. This uh, to me happens chronologically before a lot of stuff here. Um, in my opinion, I think this happens before he actually does indeed take the jump in Lost in Time and Space. So like maybe after Wait by the River where he kind of accepts that this might be something he does. Vide Noir, he actually does it with the intention of black branding himself to death. I, I like how groovy this is. It's not my favorite. I don't dislike it. I think it's not helped by following Moonbeam because I'm not super in a great mood after Moonbeam. So I don't think that's fair to Vide Noir. I think it's a fine track. I think it it serves its purpose of, you know, telling when he actually does indeed take the vid noir and, you know, that uh, lethal dose. But yeah, it's there's just not a lot going on here. Again, to your point, it's the groovy beat. It's that bass uh, is really heavy there and the drums is uh, predominant as well. Those are like the two big core pieces to this track. But unlike previous tracks where they are predominantly featured like wait by the river and when the night is over um there's no swells here necessarily it just kind of keeps on that groovy beat from beginning to end 
So there's not a whole lot going on here. I don't dislike it. I don't, but it's not, it's not a favorite. I think um, narratively for me, this happens after the balancer's eye. I think this is him fully committing to, I got limited time. This is kind of my final day here. And this is his last ditch shot to get to her with the outro here. I'm a nameless soul heading into a pure black void like he is just going for it. Um, And it's obvious that he's been battling kind of, again, uh, the reliability of our narrator here. He's been battling kind of having either these hallucinations or this chaos kind of going on in his head. And I think this is him fully just committing and going for it because he's got nothing to lose. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I, I did breeze through the lyrics real quick as you were talking. And I do see that. I do see that take. I, I, I'm going to need – and that's just, that's the joy and frustration with this record is that like there's always little rearrangements like, oh, no, actually, I think this goes over here. And, oh, actually, this this makes more sense here. Like, And it's these last few tracks I always have the most difficulty with. So I'm next time I do listen to this in full, I'm going to keep this in mind, your take, because uh, that is I, – I like the idea of this following Balancer's Eye. I, I think that does follow and track – I think this is a little bit ahead, like the Balance of Zion stuff, where like before of Ancient Names, he's like starting to get into it. I mean, with the third verse here, it's obvious like he's now been experimenting like a lot with this stuff. And he's probably made some bad friends. Like many evils have I enjoyed, probably the night raising health, the boys getting high on a pure black void. So I kind of view this as, okay, he's a bit more experienced with it versus like wait by the river. He just kind of like, whoa <laughs> that's like his first experience with it i think it does a good job of like back from the edge holy shit, what did i get myself into here i think this is where he it's obvious he's already lost himself the balancer's eye kind of conveys okay this is his last night will he see her when the night is over this is him taking it and just going full in this is like the knowledge right he and the experience coming forth he knows what it takes for him to get there um and he's gonna do it so I think this logically leads into what we see in Emerald Star, where I see Emerald Star as the the narrative conclusion of of the story. Hmm. Okay. No, I like that take. Um. And it, honestly, with that, let's let's hop to Emerald Star. Oh, what a jewel are you? And oh, what a fool am I for squandering? I think we've talked a bit about this in the past off mic and I'm curious to hear what what your thoughts are now about it because I've standed by that I have loved this closer to the album. I think it thematically ties things together. I think it wraps things up perfectly and I think it really contains essentially the thesis of the subject matter of this album in my opinion or kind of like the answer to the thesis. So I I love this. This is up there like with Into the Wind no. and The Lonesome Dreams. I view it as kind of like a parallel to that, albeit a darker take. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, but d- d- 
explain, explain. What musically do you like about it? I, I do agree narratively I like it, but I want to hear what, what musically drives you to this song. For for me, it's not simply just the music. It's how it plays into the visuals that it conveys for me. Narratively, he is now there. He has made it. He's essentially achieved his goal, and he realizes now this was all a lie. He's been chasing this thing, and... I view it as his logical brain is finally kicking in and he's realizing just what a mistake he made. And he realized, I, I came here. I'm here to save you. I'm here to take you away from this place. And it finally ends up, oh, this is going to be the loneliest place to die. And when everything you've loved is a lie, it's obvious that he's stuck. He's got nothing else to live for here. And I think the whole like instrumental, just the, ominous closure to this too like the the wailing uh instrumentals at the end too kind of convey that in it it's easy to get kind of choked up at least for me at the end of this because it's like we've been with this character throughout this whole album and he's had so many bad things happen to him and ends up with this and it's such a just a cautionary sad tale i think it's super effective i don't think this needs to be some big grandiose bombastic instrumentals. I think instrumentals perfectly fit narratively what's going on. And I think that's why it works. I mean, similar with Into the Wind, right? Where Into the Wind wasn't this big bombastic thing. It was a little bit more subdued and it fit the subject matter and the sincerity that they're getting across. And I see something similar here. All right. I I will grant you some interesting instrumental choices. I agree. It's like the instrumentation is weeping at the very end i'll cry and cry if your light ever dies the violin or viola or whatever it is is it's almost as if it's sobbing along with him like it's pretty well done with regards to like communicating what's supposed to communicate and i agree that like yes it's not supposed to be a bombastic thing but whereas into the wind i get this freshness out of uh into the wind that i don't get here and I get that you're saying it serves the narrative. This isn't a happy ending. (laughs) He's not in a great place, both mentally and physically, but uh, it it is difficult for me to articulate exactly why I don't care for this ending. It's not that I dislike it. The only song on the record I dislike is Moonbeam. All the other ones I at least enjoy. I don't know. Maybe maybe it comes into confusion because I'm not quite sure where this revelation you never loved me comes from and i'm not entirely sure it's earned is the narrator saying here like or rather is like ben implying here that the narrator who i guess we assumed was unreliable this whole time like was that a bad assumption on our part was he reliable and truthful literally the entire record because i i just find that hard to believe given his I think this is kind of where my crack theory comes in. <laughs> oh, okay. so please explain your crack theory. This is why I like it, because this is kind of my head canon. And I don't know if it's going to hold up, but this is kind of where I'm, I'm sitting right now after this listen. I think this song makes us question if his lover was actually a person. And there's a couple of pieces of evidence here, I think, that suggests that this is true. So when we look at the IMDb page for the movie of what they're proposing here, the main character here is Buck Vernon. What? Buck Vernon was the character in Fool for Love from Strange Trails. At least that's how it's cast in IMDb. So he was the washed up rockabilly country singer from the late 50s, early 60s. That's how Ben envisioned him. 
and he conveyed to him as suffering from these really intense hallucinations. And so that's where I see this kind of coming in is, okay, if we assume that this is the same character, say, as from Strange Trails, Buck Vernon, and I think it's been conveyed many times over this album that he's not necessarily a very reliable narrator. I think it's, I see this as his lover was never actually a person. It was hallucinations for a woman beyond the line that he was getting from V Noir. Like he was chasing something that wasn't real. So I think that's the most likely story here that he was like hooked on these drugs. He never realized that he was essentially like duped all along. It's obvious that like his logical brain came to, but his like monkey brain like still loves and craves it. Like it, it's part in this song. You can see the struggle here, like, oh, what a jewel are you? Like he's kind of like I almost like Gollum, I kind of see it as like hunched over, like still like enraptured by this, but then kind of his logical brain kicks in and like, oh, and what a fool am I for squandering my love on an emerald in the sky. Way out here in the void is the loneliest place to die when everything you have loved is a lie. So that's where I see it as he's been chasing these hallucinations of this woman, his lover, and he's been sucked into these drugs. He's gone past the astral plane and then he realizes this is nothing. It's He's been chasing a farce and... His love never really existed, but it was rather it was the vision of what he wanted. He was trying to find out through these substances. Um, And now he's trapped and enraptured by this addiction, right, to these substances. Like, I'll cry and I'll cry if your light ever dies again. Kind of that golem. I see this, like, duality here where it's like he knows he's fucked, but then he's like he's still in it and he doesn't want it to die. Like, he's now in this, like, weird oh, we're now safe. We're in our own little interdimensional cocoon. It could just be us forever. And yet just how stupid am I for squandering my life on this? So I kind of see this like really interesting, weird duality here. And that's what I think is just so fascinating by this, um, this kind of conclusion of this story arc, which kind of like kind of brings me into like why I think this is kind of the nice tie in answer to the thesis where, There are these recurring themes of him pushing himself to the edge and not coming back. So like principally, I think this album is really dealing with a lot of these, the subject matter of like substance abuse and addiction and depression through the lens of this fictional universe where we have these weird self-care psychedelic drugs in this, this fictional world of occult and, and the apocalypse is going on. He experiments with these themes and these topics through the lens of this character in this weird fictional world. And it makes me ask this question, like, where do you go when it's all in your head? Like, I mean, really, that he's exploring that, the actual true subject matter, right? This depression, this abuse addiction, like people who suffer from that, they, they can't physically escape it. Like, where do you go? It's all in your own head. You cannot physically remove yourself from it. So I, I see a lot of these themes kind of hinted on towards and the bow tied on at the end of this uh, album here and it really makes me ask this like what are we really searching for in some like habits and behaviors in our life like do we really understand our motivations and and all that we're like our married character maybe he doesn't really want V Noir but he's instead looking for the love and companionship escaping the loneliness and the V Noir's the distraction from it and he's having these hallucinatory visions of his true love these promises of companionship like Dale like Oh, you can 
find your answers of these wonderful products. And he chases it and chases it. And he actually ruins everything that would allow him to actually like enjoy it. Right? <laughs> he has no funds, no job. He left his home and he ends up behind the line at the astral plane. And he achieves his goal to find out this was a false, empty promise. There was no love to find in this. So I don't know. I, I That's what I kind of see is that's like my crack theory right here of what's going on with the, the subject matter and the themes. And I think Emerald Star essentially just ties the bow on it, where I think before they kind of been leading us on like, oh, this relationship and this woman, I think this kind of makes me question if she was real. Um, so that that that's my thoughts. I know it's a bit of a crack theory. I don't know if it'll actually stand up, but that's kind of my weird take here on this. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I, I I I was reviewing the lyrics for Emerald Star and a few other of the songs as you were talking. Um I think you're a goddamn genius. <laughs> I I genuinely think that's it. Y- you were right on the money with the words here like oh what a jewel you- are you and oh what a fool am I for squandering my love on an emerald in the sky way out here on the void is the loneliest place to die when everything you loved is a lie he literally is and continues to be the fool for love holy mm-hmm. shit, dude this is why I love talking <laughs> about music with you cuz I mean I like to think I'm hot shit. But then uh, you come in with some cockamamie nonsense that actually is like well supported in the text, completely makes me recontextualize things. Like, I cannot wait now to re listen to this record with this as a potential interpretation. And I, I think this is the way I'm going to lean because she's always been the thing I've had the most difficulty mm-hmm. with. We keep getting weird things about her that don't quite line up. And This kind of lifts the veil from our eyes a little bit as to what was going on. Like, and that really does put a new spin on she took all my money. Like, yeah, drugs do tend to cost a lot of money, don't they, dude? And that Mm -hmm. ties so well into this whole commentary on drug use and commercialism and all of that and the vanity and the vapidness of all of it and you know the really sad aspects of addiction obviously so like that ties perfectly into all those in such a better way than if she was legitimately a real person oh my goodness you bastard i can't believe you never told me this i would have listened to this and come in with a more intellectual take but your ice cold take is so good oh (laughs) that's so good man that's why i think when we are asking like what does this album make you feel it makes me feel reflection because it always makes me re-ask that question right what are we really searching for in some of the habits and behaviors in our life? Do we really understand the motivations? Like take, for example, the author of The Power of Habit explains some of this, right? He runs an experiment on himself where he has this bad habit where every day at work he gets up and gets a cookie. And he's like, God, like this sucks. I don't want to keep eating cookies every day. So he analyzed it, formulated the habit loop. And he realized it wasn't really the cookie he was craving, but it was rather the social interaction and the break from work that he got from the fact that he had to get up out of his desk, go down to the lunch area, get a cookie, come back, socialize with some people along the way. So that's really what he was craving. 
And really, similarly, like our narrator, like he wasn't craving vie noir. He was craving the companionship, the love, like that, like the vie noir was a means to an end. And he just gets sucked in and raptured by it at the end and it all crashes down at him. And he went way too far with it. So that's kind of what this album makes me think of. It's like, are there any like self-destructive or non-constructive habits in one's life that are promising one thing, like, especially in commercialism, right? We're promised a lot of things like, oh, this will do this for you. This will do this for you. All those amazing things. But are in fact, are they delivering another thing? I think this provides like healthy retrospection or reflection, right? And I think the world of this hyper-commercialized 90s self-care psychedelic goop is like the perfect foundation to explore this subject matter. That's why I love this album. And this is why it's like, in my mind... Uh, Trump's Strange Trails for me with Lonesome Dreams because it always has that replay value for me because I get something like, it's always fun to think about that and explore that self-reflection each time you listen to it, right? Oh my goodness. So that's given me a tremendous amount to think about. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're at that point in time. Do you have any final closing remarks, things you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to? Any other thoughts? Oh yeah, actually, I noted some Easter eggs. For those that want like go through and like dig into these auxiliary material things. So if you watch the Night We Met music video, the closed captioning is presented by Emerald Star CC Services. So they've been flirting with this in Strange Trails material. In addition, we get a very brief glimpse of the Emerald Star and the TV static at the end of the music video. So really, I uh, would recommend checking that out. It's kind of cool to see those little Easter eggs in there. Additionally, at the end of Marsha Tanley's Products in the Universe in the credits, the spiritual advisor to Mr. Tanley, <laughs> the husband of Marsha, is the one, the only George Ranger Johnson. So we get a nice harken back to Mr. George here is still around and in Ben's mind. So, well, I'm glad he's found work. Yes, I'm glad he's. <laughs> I mean, that's quite the work is to be a spiritual advisor to Mr. Tanley. I, I bet that comes with a lot of baggage. So, yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to note those little Easter eggs. It wasn't like enough to like really fully dive into and discuss. I would see if I have anything else in the parking lot here as I kind of scrub through. Oh, Marsha Tanley is quoted as Moonbeam. <laughs> I don't know why in Prox in the Universe. Huh. Yeah, that's kind of a bit weird. So there are some details. Again, like, again, there's details here that don't really like support some of our interpretations. Yeah, I mean, there's this concept of a character we didn't mention, which I think is supposed to be the fortune teller. Lady Moonbeam is literally her name, I believe. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I just don't see her playing a big part in this story, yeah. aside from her part in Ancient Names Part 1. And even though there's literally a song called Moonbeam, I, I don't think that's her. Maybe that's just because I haven't glocked that specific aspect yet. Um, I'm sure there's stuff hidden in here, and it is the bicycle for the mind. So I'm sure she'll ebb and flow in the narrative for th- subsequent listens. But uh, yeah, but to, to be clear, I do believe Lady Moonbeam is the psychic that he talks to in Ancient Names Part 1. Uh, I think that's everything I had. What about you? I don't have much on my end that hasn't already been said. I definitely grew to love this record with subsequent re-listens, and it definitely is, I think, right up there with Strange uh, Trails, Lonesome Dreams. A solid, solid release. I love how different it is. There's nothing else like it in their discography before or after I love how interesting it is because it doesn't keep the same style. It doesn't keep the same 
musical tone throughout. There's always little bridges or songs or segments or endings or starts or whatever that are different, that are weird, that don't quite match up with the rest of the track or the rest of the record, but are there nonetheless to make sure you're awake and paying attention. And the narrative itself, I am glad that a more structured narrative is back like we got on Lonesome Dreams. To me, that is a little bit more engaging from a narrative perspective than the vignettes we got on Strange Trails. Um, even though there was a little bit of connectedness between some of the characters there, like there's more through line here. Absolutely. Um, and it is nice to see that return. Am I talking myself into liking this more than Strange Trails? I might be from talking through this. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, this has been a grower for me. And if for me, it, I'm not always in the mood to listen to it, but... When I'm in the mood to bathe in the neon glow, <laughs> this is this is the stuff to, to listen to, and it, it hits very well. One thing I had in the parking lot, too, if there's anyone that's a fan of Cowboy Bebop listening to this, I see a lot of similarities here to Scratch from Cowboy Bebop episode 23 and Dr. Londis. Like, I see some similarities there. It's it's kind of fun. So if, if someone is a fan of Cowboy Bebop, maybe like listen to this record, watch some of the videos and watch the Cowboy Bebop episode because it's similar kind of themes and kind of like culty style uh, things that they explore in, in that episode. So recommend checking it out. It's kind of cool. I'll have to do that because I did watch Cowboy Bebop, but I haven't done a rewatch all the way through yet. So I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Since it's episodic, yeah, just give like episode 23 our watch with Dr. Londis and Scratch. It's like the cult of like video game thing with the headsets and all that. That's it's, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, I'm going to have to give that a rewatch. Nice. Well, hey, Michael, thank you so much for taking time to talk about this record. Talk about Lord Huron with me again. It's always a good time. And I'm glad you were able to uh, open my mind to the possibilities here. <laughs> yeah. Open your mind to the possibilities beyond the astral plane. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, honestly, always... Always a pleasure. I could talk Lord here until I'm blue in the face. It's always so much fun to dive into these albums and just like take a bite out of them and really try to figure them out. And this band always, 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 always has me coming back. And I think they've earned their popularity for sure. Um, I mean, dear Lord, this is just the worlds that they build. I, I'm constantly coming back. I mean, even when it's stuff I'm not necessarily a huge fan of, I still find something always to appreciate. So it's always a pleasure discussing. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. All of the different quotes and references and things we mentioned are going to be in the show notes. The show notes you can view in your podcast player of choice, or if your podcast player doesn't support them, then you can always view the show notes on our website, badmusichurts.com. That's hurts like the car company or hurts like it hurts so good. Either way works. So thank you for tuning in and we hope to see you next time. So take care. We're going to go and float away on the astral plane now. Goodbye.
How was that for an ending? I like it. <laughs> Wasn't that terrible? <laughs>